Rising Giants Network. I was never accustomed to living in Christchurch, so I moved because I was very, I, I hated the racism here. Just a couple of weeks ago, where we were talking in Arabic, me and my daughter, and one of the ladies, old couple, they say uh, they are soon going back to their country. It's like a racist uh, talking against us. A Māori woman who said to me, my daughter will experience racism. Mm. People will be racist towards her because of the colour of their skin. What I can say is that it is clear that this is one of New Zealand's darkest days. I'm Ashley Stewart, and from the Rising Giants Network, this is Our Darkest Day, examining the aftermath of the 2019 Christchurch terror attacks. I've spent the last two years speaking with some of the people most affected by this horrific crime. And in this podcast, I have the privilege of introducing you to them. This is the story of that day and the aftermath, told in their words. This podcast isn't for sensitive ears or for children. If it's starting to feel like too much, just switch it off. In the last episode, we heard from a terrorism expert on the ideology behind white supremacism and why social media has allowed it to become more of a mainstream threat than ever before. In this episode, we'll hear from Jana, Adib, Wasim, and the other Adib about being Muslim in a country like New Zealand. Episode 5, The Meaning of Faith. Growing up as a middle-class European New Zealander, I didn't learn about Ramadan until I was at university and the Quran until I moved to Dubai when I was 26. To Kiwis who are maybe a bit naive like me, the Middle East is a patch of desert somewhere between Europe and Asia where mostly bad things happen. We associate it with war and violence, of extremism and poverty. Many don't know how to separate Islam from extremism which is why so many in the Muslim community have said there is a silver lining to all of this. They believe it's helped the general public understand exactly what Islam is. Muslim New Zealanders only make up about 1.2% of our population. Headscarves, thobes and mosques aren't seen that often, particularly in our smaller towns. The Muslim Association of Canterbury estimates there are about 6,000 Muslims in Christchurch, This gives you an idea of how small and tight-knit the community was. Many of them grew up together. Pictures from a decade ago show Hussein Al-Amari and Atta Alayan, who both died in the mosque, hanging out together. Adib describes Al-Nur Mosque as a community centre. It's where he goes to see all his friends in one place. And that didn't change after the attacks. Al-Nur Mosque reopened just a week later. But while many Muslims found community within their religion, after March 15th, questions quickly arose about whether they were truly accepted in wider Kiwi society. Many said no, that New Zealands were racist or ignored them. More troubling still were stories from the New Zealand Islamic Women's Council that came to light at the time about how growing threats to their community had been flagged by them and ignored 
or not taken seriously by police or the New Zealand government. We'll return to this later. I've spoken to Jana and Hazem about being the other in a so-called welcoming place like New Zealand many times over the last two years. But some of their comments from when we sat and chatted over Iftar four months after the attacks are the most poignant. The couple spoke openly about how they didn't necessarily know many of the Muslim community before the attacks because it was Hussein who had always been the social one. Hassam told us in episode two. But my definition was that New Zealanders are friendly but not friends. But after March 2019, that started to shift. There was a big solidarity, in fact, and there was sympathy. And there were so many features of the society which I was not aware of. We came to know about that, you know, like this generosity and pain and donations. And, you know, we used to have uh, receive uh, boxes of parcels. For many survivors and family members, their heritage took on a heightened meaning in the grieving process. Aya, Hussein's sister and Jana's daughter, had always been connected with their Iraqi roots, but had felt a bit disconnected in recent years. So it was fitting that she was the one to plan a pilgrimage to Mecca, the holiest site in Islam, to perform Hajj for her brother in the wake of the attacks. Hajj is the name of the pilgrimage to Islamic holy sites in and around Mecca in Saudi Arabia, the holiest city in Islam and the birthplace of the Prophet Muhammad. For Muslims, it's compulsory to perform Hajj at least once in a lifetime, so long as a person is physically fit and financially able to do so. Millions of pilgrims from around the world travel to Mecca for Hajj over a 10-day period each year. Muslims believe a successful Hajj brings enormous spiritual rewards and erases all of your previous sins. In 2019, King Salman of Saudi Arabia invited 200 family members and survivors of the Christchurch mosque attacks on an all-expenses-paid trip for Hajj. Aya and Jana were both keen to go, but Jana had to pull out because of health issues. The family had been to Mecca before. So in August 2019, Aya returned. On this trip, she stands in the exact same spot she had the last time, in front of the Kaaba, which looks kind of like a giant black cube, draped in silk and a cotton veil, and is the most sacred building in Islam, and gazes up at it in wonder. Circling the Kaaba seven times counterclockwise, known as Tawaf, is an obligatory rite for the completion of the Hajj pilgrimage. She's surrounded by thousands of other pilgrims. This was pre-COVID, so everyone was pretty tightly packed in. Only this time, as she stared at the Kaaba, her brother wasn't there, except in the picture of him that she carried around with her. And you can do as many as many uh, uh, Umrah as, as you like. And um, and so I did. Uh, I did one for, I did one the first one for myself. I did the Umrah for myself. This was before Hajj, and then I did the Umrah for Hussein. And um, I just felt it was. I just felt when I was doing the the Umrah for Hussein that he was there with me because the um, when you complete uh, one of the one of the steps to complete the Umrah is that you go. Um, which is going around the Kaaba seven times. So obviously the lower level you are, the quicker it, the, the lower level you are in, in Mecca, the quicker you do a tawaf. But the 
the, the higher you go in levels, the circumference of the tawaf becomes bigger. And so the, um, the time I was doing Hussein's one, so I completed one in the ground floor. I completed one round in the ground floor. So we have to do seven. And then the people, people just started coming in and I just automatically went up one level, another level. And then I ended up on the rooftop. So what normally takes you, I don't know, like five minutes. <laughs> yeah, the circle is bigger. <laughs> the, bigger. The, the circle is way, way bigger. And I remember it. It's August and it's hot. And the sun is steaming in my face. And I remember thinking, my God, this is this is Hussein's doing. <laughs> Because he loves, he loves walking. Like he absolutely loves walking. He would walk from his house to, to my parents' house, yeah, which is about kilometers, seven kilometers. One of Hussein's favorite Arabic verses was God please build for me a house in heaven. So it was a phrase Aya repeated to herself over and over again. She prayed for other Christchurch victims, for herself, and said a few prayers that friends at home had asked her to say on their behalf. But the main one was for her mum and dad, to give them the strength to carry on. She'd seen their pain every day since March 15th. On her way home, Aya stopped off in the UAE. The UAE's culture minister, Nora Al-Kabi, who's an extremely high-ranking official, had been in touch with the family just after Hussein's death and offered help any time they needed it. Aya took her up on the offer for this trip, and the minister organised everything, from her tickets back to New Zealand to her accommodation in the UAE. I completed my Hajj, they changed it, and as soon as I arrived to, to Dubai is where, where I landed. And um, it's 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 a it's a very it was a very funny feeling. It's like oh okay, this is this also feels like home um, because it, you were born there. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but like I haven't been in Emirates for yeah, I don't know for a ages. long, long time, and we've been in New Zealand for 25 years. But then you go to Abu. I went to Dubai, and I was like, oh okay, all right, back 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 home or another home. So. It was it was a very um, strange sensation. Let's let's put it that way. So when I went to Abu Dhabi, I went to visit our old home, our old club that we used to go to, the sports club that we used to go to, yeah. our old swimming pool, um, the old complex that we used to go to, the the um, where else did I go? Yeah, the parks, the swimming pools, the complex. It was a very very oh, our favorite restaurant, our favorite shawarma place. Can't be, you know, shawarma. Me and me and Hussein, we we love shawarma. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was a really nice trip down memory lane, and it 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 was very uh, uh, healing. And I went to I went to a uh, Ferrari World. Hussein loved his cars, so that was a must do. And I went to um, visit where the Fast and Furious was filmed. And through each um, each mar- landmark, I, I have a photo of me and Hussein, and I would take photos of the UAE flag. Yeah, yeah, the biggest like flag, the flag behind us, but a photo of me and Hussein with the UAE flag behind us, and um, it was kind of like you know we're in this together. After Aya returns home, she says she has more mental clarity over what had happened to her brother. It wasn't closure, but it was something like it. It got her thinking about her heritage, 
New Zealand and where she really belongs. Hussain resigned because of racism. And he even used to change his name and his uh, CV. Yeah. Instead of Hussain, he would put H-U-S, thinking that, okay, maybe it's maybe it's because of that. And, and the bad thing is, like, when I... I just got recently declined for a job that I was... that pays less than what I'm <laughs> what I'm on at the moment and it just makes you think is it because you don't it's sad that I'm in the state at the moment when I'm thinking is it because you don't think I'm good enough or is it because you're racist this is this is what this is what the last two years has caused me to think really though the family experienced a wave of support after the attacks and believe Christchurch and New Zealand have come some way to addressing casual racism there's still much to be done, Aya says. It needs to start from the root, and the root is your education and schooling and things like this. And so there needs to be a generational revolution, basically, when it comes to uh, uh, um, uh, being socially cohesive with each with uh, different cultures. Um, traditionally, for, for me, like, I never... Uh, uh, settled or I was never accustomed to living in Christchurch so I moved because I was very I I hated the racism here um it was it was very very blunt and upfront and I as soon as I turned 18 I went to university in Wellington and I loved it there I absolutely loved it there because it was very metropolitan and there were a lot of cultural infusions and um, there was a, a, a comparatively, uh, it was less racist, to put it in, a, in plain terms. And, and, and so that is why I really enjoyed living there. And then when I moved back to Christchurch five years ago, uh, nothing seems to have changed. Um, but I think now, uh, th- there is the conversation is going on about racism, about uh, so socially social cohesion and things like that. And so hopefully it's there, there is some action being taken to start from the from the from the root. There is there th- there are always bad apples everywhere. Um, it's important to note that there is always bad apples everywhere. Adib Sami went to Mecca after the attacks too and performed Umrah, mini Hajj, on New Year's Eve 2019. The next day, his 23-year-old daughter Hamza got engaged back in Christchurch to a Palestinian man. Despite the events of the last 18 months, he says Christchurch is more home now than it ever was. That's why, despite his best efforts, he hasn't been able to convince Ali, who recently finished his studies in Christchurch and engineering, to move to the UAE for a higher salary and better job prospects. His son Abdullah doesn't want to leave either. And his eldest daughter, Heba, who lives in Dubai, is probably going to move to Christchurch in the near future too. Adib had always considered Christchurch and New Zealand to be a tolerant city. There were some racists, as there are anywhere, but mostly he had always been accepted. It was slightly different for his wife, Sana, She and her headscarf had often been stared at, but it had never worried her. After the attacks, she felt more included by general society. People were talking to her more, acknowledging her as she walked by. She was at a chemist one day, 
and someone came up to her and complimented her headscarf and asked about it. She appreciated that someone had come and asked about it to her face. But despite all this, Adib doesn't believe racism can be solved in one fell swoop. There were threats before at the mosque, mostly harmless, but still unsettling. A few years ago, someone left a pig's head outside Al Noor. He doesn't understand why people don't simply respect his beliefs, as he respects other religions. But I have to accept them, and they have, that's the New Zealand before built on. Different nationalities, different religions, different beliefs. Of course, you know, of course I have a friend from Christchurch, not only Muslim. I have friend Christian Muslims. I have I have uh, Iraqi Christian. I have uh, uh, New Zealanders uh, from UK uh, origin uh, friends. So I will consider it. But if you ask me, you will expect that uh, everything will disappear. The discrimination. The no, I will. I will. Uh, I will say no. I will never expect that will end. It will continue because always you will see foolish people like Tarrant who think in using the, their uh, only weapons to send the message for others, not, uh, not discussion, not uh, a conversation. So they expect that power should be the solution, not a, a clear discussion or a, a conversation between all the religions. Vascular surgeon Adib Kanafa is quick to point out that he's experienced barely any discrimination in his day-to-day life in 11 years in Christchurch. He puts it down to his friend circles and colleagues, who are all accepting. It could be something to do with having a high-level job. However, there was one experience he remembers clearly. There was an incident um, with my girls during a the rise of ISIS. There were there were a kind of teasing around because because they know my girls were Muslims and they were kind of teasing about it, you know, some slogans, you know, Allah or something like that, you know. But I kind of taught my kids in, that they need to stand up for themselves and they need they need to address them themselves. And when it went kind of out of control, I went to the school and the school kind of dealt with it. His wife Salma also got the odd stare because of her headscarf, but any jives at Islam were taken in good humour. As a woman uh, walking in, in a new environment in Christchurch, where women wearing hijab is not very, uh, very common, but we still think we've never been subjected to any discrimination, hate talk, or, or any of that. As a matter of fact, um, uh, generally, if people want to take a joke or make a joke of Islams or and all that between colleagues, generally, uh, I take that with a, um, uh, with an open heart uh, because my other half of my partner or the people I work with, they're not learning about the uh, religion. Um, and so there's a bit of education there or a bit of learning for both sides. So I think we have to be careful um, to say whether, is it is it really uh, discrimination against against Muslim, or is it just, you know, we are in a society where it is, in itself, is a closed society. And as you might know yourself, um, um, the Christchurch is a closed um, uh, community. If a person looks at you because you're wearing the Islamic hijab or because you don't look like a Kiwi, not because they're discriminating against you, 
because Christchurch as a community is different than Auckland or, um, or Wellington. A lecturer of communication studies at Auckland University of Technology, Kairia Rahman, produced a report into media coverage of the attacks in October last year. She found that inclusivity by the New Zealand press became obvious only after the attacks. Her report said that previously, Islam in New Zealand had long been misrepresented as homogenous and typified as a danger to society. Muslims suffered normalised abuse, discrimination and oppression, as well as false media representations that consistently impacted the Muslim identity in a negative way. But Rahman's research showed that after the attacks, the New Zealand media in particular had presented the Muslim community's message of peace, love and forgiveness as a way to portray a human angle. 18 months after the massacre, in December 2020, New Zealand's largest news outlet, Stuff, made international headlines when it publicly apologised for the way it has portrayed Māori people after an internal investigation uncovered evidence of racism and marginalisation in its representation of the country's Indigenous people. In an editorial that ran alongside the findings, Stuff editorial director Mark Stevens said the company's coverage of Māori issues over the past 160 years ranged from racist to blinkered and had remained monocultural even in the present day. Many in the Muslim community feel like their voices have been similarly discounted. The Islamic Women's Council of New Zealand have recently said that they had raised concerns about incidents of abuse and discrimination against Muslim women particularly with various government offices. They believe they were failed. A report by the Federation of Islamic Associations in New Zealand found a focus on the threat of Islamic terrorism blinkered New Zealand's intelligence agencies to the rising threat of far-right terrorism, despite mounting evidence of this in other countries, which contributed to the New Zealand Muslim community feeling increasingly unsafe. The report concluded that security organisations were institutionally racist, Islamophobic, incorrect and misled the public. We asked for help. We knew we were vulnerable to such an attack. We did not know who, when, what, where or how, but we knew, the report said. It shouldn't take a terrorism attack to open people's eyes to casual racism and discriminatory behaviour, but for many, this is what happened in New Zealand. Some in the Muslim community talk positively about their profile being raised and more tolerant attitudes in the wake of the attacks, but casual racism still persists. Just a few weeks ago, while Jana and Aya were out shopping, one experience with a local managed to overshadow all the previous kindness they'd been shown. Just a couple of weeks ago, where we were at Rangirura, at Farmers Rangirura Department Store, Department store. and we were talking in Arabic, me and my daughter, and one of the ladies, old couple, they uh, say uh, uh, they are soon going back to their country. It's like a racist uh, talking against us. So um, my daughter started recording them, uh, uh, bullying us and uh, telling us, uh, you are not uh, Kiwi. I, I told her, yes, I am Kiwi. This is my home. Uh, she said, uh, born and bred in New Zealand. 
I said, it doesn't matter. New Zealand is our country. It's our, it doesn't matter. And then um, I wanted to uh, cool the situation with the lady. I told her, please, I had enough. Please, I lost my son at the mosque. Please be gentle with us, please. So she, I felt that she became happy or something. And she immediately said, okay, I lost uh, a lot of friends from cancer. So it's just an instant uh, reply to me. I thought that she will be okay. She will hug me or she will stop talking about racism. Please, I had enough. Please, I have a son. I lost my son in the mosque. She immediately, immediately, oh, I have a friend. And uh, it's it's like in a, in a nosy, um, snobby. snobby, in a snobby way. Oh, I have a lot of friends who died from cancer. My son didn't die. My son was killed. The couple was removed from the store for their behaviour, but the experience rattled Jana and Aya. A story about it in the local media prompted an apology from the mayor of the Waimakariri district, where the store is located. He invited the family to his home, so they went out there for cake on Aya's birthday. But it isn't enough. The family had been thinking of leaving Christchurch for a while. This made them think more seriously about it. It's just incidents like this. It's making us think, okay, um, it's uh, and not pleasant experiences we had in, 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 in Christchurch. Wasim Al-Sati, the barber from Jordan, who was shot in the attacks along with his four-year-old daughter, had a similarly distressing experience in 2020 when police showed up at his barber's truck to ask if he had affiliations with ISIS. I feel very disappointed because two months ago, or even less than two months ago, I have been interrogated if I'm ISIS or not by the police. So we decided to go for a holiday to Jordan and to see other doctors. We got stuck in Turkey for six months because of COVID. I have put in a Facebook photo for me holding the Turkish flag with an Islamic flag and being in front of Hagia Sophia. So they picked up on that, and I think you have it on my Facebook. You will see some photos, and I, I have, I am not taking them down because there is nothing wrong with them. And two police officers come to me, and they just said, "Oh, it's coming to our attention, and we would like to see this is the Islamic flag, and we would like to ask you if you have belonged to ISIS or, or do you have any contact." If you didn't catch all that, Wasim had been to Turkey and visited the Hagia Sophia, which was recently converted into a mosque where he took a photo of himself waving a flag with the Islamic profession of faith, or the Shahada. It reads, There is no God but Allah. Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. The inscription is also on the flag of Saudi Arabia. But since the 2000s, it's also been adopted by jihadist and Muslim extremist groups. But it's usually a white text on a black background. Wasim was waving a red flag. I asked Christchurch police about this, but they've declined to comment. When I visited Christchurch Mayor Leanne Dalziel three months after the attacks in her council chambers, I asked if the city's reputation for being racist had any truth to it. She chose her words carefully. I think everywhere does, but it's not me that experiences it. And so I can drift through life and not be aware of um, people's expression of religious intolerance Mm. or expressions of racism 
or uh, homophobia. I, I, I don't experience those exactly. things. And I, that's the one thing that I've learned that I didn't completely understand beforehand. So I would be probably fearful of using a word like racism mm. because I would think it would turn people off, you know, if they, you know, thought that I was trying to say that people were racist. And I said, I said to a number of people, wouldn't it be better if we talked about inclusion and, and we talked about diversity? And the best answer that I got to that question was, and as I say, I've been, I've been on the big learning curve with this. The best answer that I got to that was from a Māori woman who said to me, my daughter will experience racism. People will be racist towards her because of the colour of her skin. Wow. Um, and if I don't tell her that, when she experiences it, she will think it's her that they are treating in that way. And it is because of who she is. And I need to warn her that there are people out here, out there who will treat her in a particular way because of the colour of her skin. It is amazing. Now, I've never, ever, ever had anyone express that to me no. before. So, um, and I, I actually just said, thank you so much. You've now given me the ability to talk about something that I will never experience in a way that I can now tell people why I'm using a word like racism. Mm. So I used that at a Rotary meeting last night. Yeah. I used that as an example. And you know, people in the room were going, oh. And they got there. Exactly. They understood it. And, um, you know, I think we've got the ability to do something really special here. Yeah. And when the Prime Minister said that this has proved that we're not immune, but maybe here we find the antidote, what a powerful statement uh, of the role that our city and our nation can play on the world stage and, and actually providing some of the solutions to some of those really deep and tractable problems yep. that, um, that exist. 18 months later, towards the end of 2020, she tells me there's still work to be done rather than just as a knee-jerk reaction to a tragedy. I think that every community has uh, challenges as far as um, racism goes, Islamophobia goes, all, all of those um, issues. I, I guess what I hadn't appreciated, and that's why I think the, the definition uh, of the individual concerned as a terrorist was so important, was that you know that that they're often portrayed in the media as as lone wolves, but actually, when you look at what happens in the in the dark spaces on on the internet, uh, they're never alone. Uh, there is a lot of um, uh, people playing to um, people's sense of insecurity, and the blaming of others is a very much a part of. Uh, sort of enabling people to think that anything like this would be um, within their within their capacity to fulfil, you know. So, uh, so yes, Christchurch has had issues with, uh, you know, the white supremacist movement in the past, uh, and yes, there will be people who uh, do uh, go out of their way to make life very unpleasant for people who they will never accept. 
uh, in our community, but that is the same of every community. Um, and it's the challenge that we have as a city now to turn the response, uh, which was an overwhelming message of support um, to our Muslim community, uh, to turn that response into the the way that we treat each other every day of our lives rather than uh, in response to uh, such a uh, traumatic turn of events. In the next episode of Our Darkest Day, a nation waits with bated breath as the trial of the Christchurch terrorist begins. Survivors and their families struggle to deal with the stress of the trial, compounding the trauma and grief they're already dealing with. And finally, many find peace. Damage was done, and Hussein will never be here. So I have only one choice, is to forgive you. Your design was to divide but the public's response was to stand with the people of their community. You failed. Our Darkest Day is a Rising Giants Network production. It was written by myself, Ashley Stewart. It was produced by Bashar Najjar and Basil Anabtawi, with script and story consultation by Popsock Media in New Zealand. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Deezer, Spotify, Angami, or wherever you get your podcasts.